0: Um, thank you for joining with us today. We are um, really glad that you have chosen to take this time to gather together as God's people and while you are there in your living rooms or wherever you might be watching, you are gathering together. God is aware of who his people are and he joins us and unites us together in him in a very unique way. Well today, as Aaron mentioned, it's It's the week before Easter. It's Palm Sunday. It's the day that we commemorate that Jesus rode into Jerusalem victoriously. And and the people, they paved his path with, with palm branches and with their cloaks. Just like today when a dignitary visits, they'll roll out the red carpet. And so Jesus, as he's coming into Jerusalem, the week before he's going to give everything To redeem his people. The week beforehand, he comes in and rides in victoriously. Now, today is not a typical Palm Sunday message. I doubt you've heard a Palm Sunday message from the book of Ruth. But in God's providential timing, when we planned out this series on the book of Ruth a long time ago, we didn't know what Sunday this particular passage would fall on, because sometimes in other books that came before this, the passages will go quicker or slower. But in God's providence, He knew that today would be the day that, that we would come to Ruth 3. And so as I looked at it, we, we contemplated, hey, do we, do we do a typical Palm Sunday message? I said, no, because you know why? This is a Sunday passage for Palm Sunday. This really helps prepare us to see our Redeemer riding in victoriously to behold Him. And um, although it's not going to be evident right at the beginning, I think you will find at the end, it will all come together. So if you're at home, no matter where you're at, if you have a a physical Bible or device, please turn your Bibles to Ruth 3. We've been, for those of you who are just joining us and have not been able to do this prior, we've been going through the book of Ruth. And in the first chapter of the book of Ruth we have some terrible news we have a famine we have the death of Elimelech and Naomi they've gone to this land of Moab the land that's out of the land of promise it's out away from God's people it's away from God's place and they've gone there hoping to find rest hoping to find food because in Israel there was a famine so they got there when they get there though soon afterwards Elimelech dies they take their two boys with them and their boys get married to Moabite women. That's something that was forbidden for Israelites. And then they die. And then this, this saga continues. These, this, this mother is left with no children and no husband. And so she and her two daughters-in-law, as they set out, she, she says, why don't you go back? And, and what we have is this beautiful picture of redemption, this beautiful picture of really conversion. Her daughter-in-law Ruth says, no, I'm going to stick with you wherever you go. And so they go back to the land of Israel, and they get there, and Naomi says, I'm bitter. And then we see at the end of chapter 1 that, that it's about to be the time of harvest. And in chapter 2, we see that God provides for Ruth. He provides for Naomi in their famine, in their need. He provides, and he protects. And so now we come to Ruth chapter 3. This is God's holy word. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But don't make yourself known. This is kind of a sketchy story here. Don't make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he'll tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and, and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. So what Moaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet, and here's where the story has a little twist in it. Yet, there's a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives... I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and measured, he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. today let's pray father thank you that you promise you promise that your words are powerful that they are sharper than any two edged sword that they pierce the division of soul and spirit joint and marrow God, it is a challenge to listen remotely. It's a challenge to listen in our living rooms, in our, in our homes, and it's a challenge to listen when we're not here in person, Lord. So I pray that you would do what you promised to do, that your word would pierce the division of our soul and, and our, our joint and mirror to our souls, Lord, we pray. God, would you penetrate our hearts and minds? Would you, Lord, make us alive to you? Would you make your word alive to us? Would you show us yourself, show us your character, your nature through your word? Would you empower me as I speak and, and be with each and every person as they sit and watch and listen? Would your Holy Spirit right now just be upon them? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I I love good books or stories that that hang together. I like movies that hang together that that you can tell that whoever was writing it had a purpose and a plan. And as they wrote from the very beginning to the end, there's a, a subtle thread that goes throughout the movie. You may not recognize it right at once, but by the end you say, aha, I see it. I see there's something bigger going on here. I see what the author was doing. And in this chapter, it's no different as the whole book of Ruth is really... No different. There is a thread of redemption that runs throughout the whole book of Ruth. And, and what we see in the whole book of Ruth is that despite the darkness, we have a redeemer. Now that's not the exact wording, but despite the darkness, despite these times, God redeems all those who trust in him. There's this thread that despite the darkness, God redeems all those who put their trust in him. And yet now we see each chapter hangs together. Each chapter has a story and a piece to tell of that story. And in this chapter, although it looks like it's just this unusual, shall we say, story of Naomi encouraging Ruth to do some questionable or at least sketchy things, and yet it, it's more than just Naomi's request and Ruth's obedience. It's more than a story of a proposal of Ruth saying, Hey, you should ask me to marry you. It's, it's more than a love story, although it is a, a, a beautifully redemptive love story. It's, it's far more than that. I want you to see. Look, look in your Bibles at verse 1 of Ruth chapter 3. There's, there's a thread again. We see these threads woven in and out of the whole book. And there's another piece that adds a layer to the whole story we're seeing about how despite darkness, God redeems all who put their trust in him. And so in chapter 3, it's no different. There is a different aspect we're going to see in chapter 3, and it's an aspect of rest. Now, you might not see that right away. If you read the whole chapter, you're like, how in the world is this chapter about rest? Well, look in your Bibles in verse uh, 1 verse one of uh, chapter 3. If you can go perfect, there you go. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? And then, I want you to skip down to verse 18 of chapter 3. Ruth 3.18. Look in your Bibles. Look in Ruth 3.18. It says, She replied, This is Naomi talking again. So often in the Bible, when you look at narrative, um, the the meaning of a passage, the context, the the meaning of a passage is often in the dialogue of the main characters. Naomi is is one of the main characters, if not perhaps the main character here, although we see it's really pointing to the Redeemer. The dialogue of Naomi is important. So in verse 1, we see Naomi talking, Should I not find rest for you? And then in verse 18, she says... Wait at the end of the chapter, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. I believe this passage is placed here providentially by God to to really get us to start to think, to get us to see, to get us to, to, to wonder, to ask this question of can Ruth find rest? How can God's servant find rest? How can God's servant find rest? Can Naomi's desire for Ruth be satisfied, for rest for her to be satisfied? Can Ruth ever find rest? Can rest be found in marriage? Can rest be found in Boaz? Can rest be found in these circumstances? Can rest be found for God's people? How can God's servant find rest? And I I think that's a question that is relevant to each and every one of us. You see, rest is something all of us pursue now we pursue it in different ways sometimes you pursue rest by a lot of activity so that you can rest some people pursue rest by by laziness on the other end of things right now in this time when our country our world is threatened many don't have rest in their souls you you might be finding that that's you some are fearful about whether or not they or a loved one will become ill and whether they will lose their rest. Some fear loss of jobs or income. Some fear that they will no longer be able to provide for the family and they are not resting. You might not be resting right now because that's you. Some fear that you won't have a place to rest your heads, that you might lose your home. You might, not be, you might be on the streets. And so you're not in a place of rest. To some degree, all of us can identify with this desire for rest. It's, it's what drives us. It's what drives planning so that we can rest in our old age. It's, it's what drives us to take vacations, take time off. And, and none of those things are, are bad in themselves. But the question is, in any and all of those things, will we find rest? Do we find rest in our planning? Do we find rest in what we do? Do we find rest in money? Do we find rest in possessions? Do we find rest in our house? Do we find rest in our relationships? And are those things the places where we're meant to find rest? How can God's servant find rest? This passage is written for you and me. It's written for people just like Ruth, just like Naomi, who are in the middle of difficult times and circumstances and they are looking for rest. And and what we're going to see in these these three sections, there are three sections to chapter three of Ruth and and the sections are broken up in verses one to six. What we're going to see is that there is a plan for rest. It begins with, with Naomi planning, right? This is Naomi's sketchy plan. Maybe that could be in parentheses. A plan for rest. And in parentheses, you might want to write Naomi's sketchy plan, because it's sketchy. We've got to be honest. The Bible doesn't gloss over things. It's, it's honest. It doesn't, also doesn't approving things in narrative. It's putting it out there. This is a plan for rest in verses 1 through 6. And then we see in, in verses 7 to 12, we see a proposal for rest. We see Ruth essentially proposing to Boaz, because she's wanting to obey her mother-in-law to pursue rest. So she, we see this proposal for rest in, in verses 7 to 12. And then in, in verses 13 to 18, at the final part, we see a promise. Boaz's promise, a promise of rest. Well, right in the first six verses, we see this plan for rest, a plan for Rest. That's the first point. If you're taking notes, write that down there. Kids, if you are taking notes, hopefully um, you're taking notes as well. And we want you to be learners and students of God's word. And so we want you to write, hey, point one, a plan for rest. Now, we're gonna take a look at this plan for rest and see that this plan is, is not necessarily a good plan. But Naomi was planning. She was planning. This is a plan to get rest. Now, this last summer, I can't believe it's almost been... I guess it's been about 10 months. We had planned for a year prior to that to take a sabbatical, take some time off, and because I was looking for rest. Um, it, it wasn't a bad, bad plan, morally, it was a good plan, And we were really refreshed. And we found rest at the end of the sabbatical. We found that I found that it was a restful thing. Now, the thing is, it, it wasn't restful in the way I thought it might be, or for the reasons I thought it might be. Looking back, I, I might have done a lot of things differently. I, I would not have planned for rest by saying, you know what, I'm going to make our RV break down at multiple points throughout the trip. That's, that's not my idea of a good time of rest. I wouldn't have planned to have our car break down, um, lose its brakes when we were in Sequoia in the mountains before we went down a hill. I wouldn't have planned for that. I wouldn't have planned for all the different things that didn't go my way to happen. I, I had a plan, and God worked in and through that plan. But I was planning because I wanted to find rest. And, and yet, in and through all of my mistakes, all of my bad attitudes, really, because I didn't plan for those, but, but yet I had lots of them. When you're cooped up, now now I think all of us can relate. When you're cooped up in a small a small area, maybe a house right now, when you're cooped up in an RV, eight of you, um, attitudes can come out. What's there can get exposed. They don't create those things, but it can come out. And so what I saw is that God was working all through all my mistakes, all through my bad attitudes, my sin, and he was bringing about a plan so that I could see ultimately that my rest was not found in sabbatical. My rest was found in him. Now, that's what the sabbatical was for. So in a sense, yes, the sabbatical, found, I found rest, but my rest was not found in time away. It wasn't found in time of family, it was found in God. True rest is found in Him. That's a theme that the author is coming back to you. If you remember back in, in Ruth 1, in Ruth 1, verses 7 through 9, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip back over to that. Ruth 1, 7 and 9. Uh, Naomi, she is wanting to send her daughters away, and she says to her daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's. I think this is it, yep. Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Now look in verse 9. The Lord grant that you might find, oh, rest, each of you and the house of her husband. So there was this dilemma. How will they find rest in, in chapter one? In chapter two, oh, maybe, maybe it's this, this guy named Boaz. That's what came, became apparent. And then in chapter three, Ruth and Naomi's like, I think it's Boaz. Let's make a plan to find rest. That thing we've been looking for, maybe we'll find that rest in Boaz, who is your redeemer. Maybe rest is found in your redeemer. We'll make it happen. So the kind of rest that she's talking about is—it's not a bad idea. It's a good idea. The rest that she's wanting, though, it's—it's it's not uh, an absence of work. It's a—it's a rested state of your soul. It's a—it's a disposition of rest. It's a place of resting in God, and yet. Naomi, she's looking for it in temporal things. She's, she's not exactly seeing things clear. You'll, you'll notice that Naomi is not a perfect character. She's not the exemplar. She's, she's a flawed character. She is following God. She did return to God, and yet she gets so many things wrong, and yet God redeems all of those wrong things. And that's encouraging for us to see. We, we need to see flawed characters like Naomi who, they have good intentions, they mean well, they're trying to follow the Lord, but they're doing it, a little badly. She has a bad attitude. She's self-pitying in chapter one. In chapter two, we don't see her working. She's probably able to work. We don't see her working. We don't hear why she's not. Chapter three here, she's like, oh man, hey, you know what? Now that I see there's a potential for rest in this, in this redeemer, this guy who could be your redeemer, there could be rest in that, let me make it happen. And that's so often like us, we turn to self-sufficient means to, to get rest like Naomi. Naomi. And yet we see something wonderful going on here is that God, he redeems. He redeems the mistakes. He redeems our self-sufficiency. He redeems all these things because God ultimately wants to give us rest. some degree, this, this whole current isolation period that most of us are experiencing, it has been a, a way for all of us to discover rest, to discover what's truly restful. And, and if we let it, it can be a way for us to turn our hearts and say, God, you've intentionally slowed life down here. You've intentionally removed some distractions. You've intentionally put us all together as families, maybe if you're single. You, you put us all, all here in this shared situation across the world to point us to see that a true rest is only found in God. But I don't know that Naomi's talking about a true rest. She's talking about seeking rest in marriage. And so she, she's looking to find rest and joy in that. And so she devises this plan, and it is a sketchy plan, right? If, if you're a parent, or if you have a sibling, if, you, if you're a guy and you have a sister, If you're a parent and you have a daughter or even if you have a son, you'll be reading this story and you'll be like, I can't get behind this. This is sketchy. I've got three daughters. I don't like this example here. The good thing is it's not meant to serve as a good example. It's just meant to show us what God is doing in and through even our bad planning, our bad ideas. God redeems those things. Even if, I'm thinking about my boys, I wouldn't want my boys in this situation. Naomi's suggesting something that's really not okay here. It wasn't okay back then, it's not okay today, or it shouldn't be. It's sketchy. She tells Ruth, she says, and look, in, look in verses two and three. She, she tells Ruth, get up, wash, put some new clothes on, anoint yourself, get yourself ready. Um, and now that anointing was kind of like when David, after his son died, he anointed himself and he got up. and said, I'm putting that behind me now and I'm moving on. And so this is an outward symbol. She's anointing herself. She's putting, putting, past, putting her past marriage behind her and she's saying, I'm gonna move on. I'm getting a fresh start and she tells Ruth now, don't reveal yourself. Can you can you picture this? Can you picture the scene? She's telling him, hey, he's he's winnowing barley, he'll be out there in the field, they'll all be working all day, they'll take all of their grain into this shared threshing floor. And they're going to they're beat the grain until it breaks the hulls off. And they're going to throw it up in the air. And there's this winnowing fans they would use that blows the chaff into one pile. And puts, the grain falls there. And they're going to be working all the time. And, and then afterwards, they're going to have a big party. Because this is the end of a seven-week period of, of harvest. And this is an end of a harvest. And this is an end of a lot of labor. And this is the first harvest, by the way, after a period of famine. And so they're going to be celebrating pretty good. And she goes, wait. And... and and wash, and go down, but don't make yourself known. until so they're done eating, they're going to be done celebrating. Wait till he goes to bed then, and watch where he lays down. You, you, don't want to, you don't want to go follow and accidentally find somebody else. Watch where he lays down. Go and uncover his feet. This is an uncomfortable scene here. I can't believe Naomi's asking Ruth to do this. That's what the original readers probably were, were thinking, or originally hearers were thinking, what in the world? Naomi, what do you? Yeah, we know you want to find rest, but why are you doing it this way? This is pretty crazy. He says, and he'll tell you what to do next. Now, now, ladies, that is not good advice um, to my daughters. That is not good advice. You don't wait for what a guy will tell you to do when you uncover his feet. You lay down, and you just go like, "Hey, do whatever he says." No, bad idea. Okay, we'll, we'll leave it there. So Ruth, she's humble. She trusts her mother-in-law. She's ultimately, we see throughout the story, she's trusting in God. She goes down. She does exactly what Naomi commands. And don't get the notion as you're reading this, hey, when the Bible shows us something that happens, that means it endorses it. No, there is so much about this plan. It's not being endorsed. But also the Bible doesn't cover up. It doesn't cover up mistakes. It doesn't cover up the fact that, that people plan things that aren't wise, that aren't good. And it's not condoning that and it's leaving the reader to say, hey, wait a minute, you need to see this. And what you need to see is that God actually redeems a terrible plan. God works through this really sketchy plan, this bad suggestions, this questionable advice. It is questionable and yet God uses it and he works through it. And that's true for all of us. We often plan for rest. But you know what? If you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can be confident. Now, it's not, it's not licensed to do stupid things, right? It's not licensed to make sketchy plans. But you can be confident that even if you do make mistakes, He is going to work even through your sketchy plans. All of us are gonna get it wrong from time to time like Naomi. All of us are gonna see things a little differently. We're gonna to try to take things into our own hands and yet we can be confident that God is working through in and all of our plans. We can trust God to bring about his plans for us in the midst of our mess ups. And what we see next is, is Ruth's proposal to secure that rest. We see a proposal for rest in verses seven through 12. A proposal rest for rest that's the second point write that down if you're if you're taking notes kids a proposal for rest now we all like proposal stories at least most of us do um i, I would love to get to tell you um our my story from julie and i and our past we don't have the time to do that today but um I, i'll just start with telling you that we we met in a grocery store or at least that's my side of the story she claims we' met before that. I don't remember that at all. I'm probably going to get an argument later about this. I, no, not really, but um, we met in a grocery store. She would come through my line. I noticed her. she noticed me. I was working. She saw me. Um, some, some chemistry happened when she was standing in my line with a pack of gum, and there was like carts deep here, and, and I got the clue finally. And so um, eventually it, it ended in a proposal. We like to hear those good marriage proposal stories. It, it brings a, a smile to our face. It warms your heart. Um, at the time when I proposed to Julie, I thought it was good. It was pretty lame. But God works through our lame proposals. And God redeemed all of the mistakes that I, we made in, in our dating relationship. We, he redeemed all the mistakes that I made in my proposals, my plans. And, and if you're married, it'd be interesting for you to tell your proposal stories today afterwards and, and tell about how God redeemed them, how God's redeemed your plans. Well, this is an entertaining proposal we see in this passage, to say the least. Um, or it's definitely something that you, you, you have a hard time looking away from. Um, we, look, look, at, look in verse 7 imagine a picture it was the end of the harvest time God had provided a bountiful crop Boaz and his men they had beaten out all the grain they threshed it they piled it into heaps they were ready to sell to the townspeople in the morning and then after their labors Boaz had feasted with his men and his heart was merry he was in a really good mood Right? He, he was like, hey, we had a great harvest. We're going to make a lot of money. Um, I've eaten a lot. I've, I drank some. I'm merry. I'm happy. It's not that he's saying drunk, but, but they're happy. And a respectable woman would not go into a camp full of laborers at night. And Ruth must have been a little hesitant. So she, she's there. She's waiting in the shadows. Waiting until they're eating and drinking And then he goes and he lays down at the end of the pile of grain, probably there to protect his interests. And she waits until he falls asleep. And her heart must have pounded. She must have told herself she was obeying her mother-in-law and she was trying to obey God. And so she's going, but I can't imagine what she was thinking. She was probably a little fearful, a little bit hesitant. I can imagine she was praying, This, this new believer, she's like, oh Lord, help me. I'm trying to obey my mother-in-law. She's a good Christian woman. And by the way, sometimes Christian people give bad advice. Um, but Ruth was trying to obey her. And she gently goes and she uncovers his feet. And she's stealthy. She's, she's like a Moabite ninja. She sneaks in there. She pulls the cover back off his feet. No, this is not a euphemism for more, so don't read too much into this. But, but there is an uncovering. That word makes us uncomfortable. It makes the early hearers uncomfortable. There's a uncovering of legs. And so she pulls the cover back or maybe it's his cloak and she lays down at his feet. Now, I, I was, remember dog sitting a few years ago and um, I, we, we went to bed and we fell asleep and then and in the middle of the night, I wake up because I feel something warm and cozy at the bottom of my feet and I don't know what that warm cozy thing is down there. It wasn't there when I went to bed, and yet it's kind of constricting things. And so I'm like, oh, that's nice. But hang on, wait a minute, what is that? So I look down, and there's this dog named Oakley. And by the way, youngs, if you're watching, yes, Oakley jumped up in our bed in the middle of the night. And then, you know, I kind of was like, what in the world? Now, for me, I was gently shoving him off. I was very kind. I didn't hurt the dog, just in case you're wondering. Gently shoved Oakley off, and he kind of grumbled about it and got down. But... But I was surprised, this, this warmth in my feet. I can't imagine. Boaz is outside. He's, he's camping out under the stars, and he wakes up in the middle of the night, and he's like, hang on, that, I feel something warm by my feet. And at first, he's like, oh, that's nice. And then he realizes, wait a minute, this doesn't belong. One of these things is not right. And he wakes up, and he, he, he looks down. And, and it says and even has an, an exclamation mark in our, in our English Bibles because I think that really captures the mood It says and behold a woman laid at his feet what <sighs> you know maybe he thought initially one of the laborers moved too close and you know rolled over you know maybe L'chaim he came over I don't know what the guy's names were but he came over and and he asked what any reasonable man he says who are you now, I don't know how he asked that. Like, who are you? Or, who are you? Or, you know, how he asked that. He's, he's curious here. And so, Ruth tells him who, says, I'm Ruth. And look at what she says. She says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, that language of spreading your wings, that was a language of saying, I want you to be my covering. I want you to be my protector. I want you to cover me. That was a type of language that reserved is for God, reserved for your husband. And so when she says, spread your wings over me. And, and that, that word literally is like the corner of his cloak. That spread your wings. Same word for when Boaz said to her, you've come seeking to find refuge under God's wings. She says, yes. Remember you prayed that earlier? I'd find refuge under God's wings. Now you, you you're going to be a means of that. I want you to spread your wings over me. And the ancient listener must have said, What? That's really forward. And in that culture, that would be a shocker. But, but listen, he doesn't hesitate. He immediately, look in verse 10. He immediately says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, for you've made this last kindness greater than the first. You've not gone after young men whether rich rich poor. And now, my daughter, don't fear. For all that you ask, for all my, fe- I will do all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you're a worthy woman. He's not hesitant. He wants to. He wants to marry this woman. He's not hesitant. The Redeemer desires to marry her. He's already thought about it. He already is aware that he's a close Redeemer. He's already aware there's somebody else. He's aware, and, and maybe he, I don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he was thinking, yeah, you know, she's out of my league. I'm old. She's young. What, whatever that was. But he says, you know, this is not the first time it crossed my mind. I've already checked into things, and I'm going to do everything I can to redeem. And so he gives, let's, the third and final thing we see is that he gives a promise of rest. He gives a promise of rest in verse 13 to 18. He says, he says, stay here. And he uses covenant language and he says, as the Lord lives, he is calling down on the name of the covenant-keeping God. And he says, as the Lord lives, swearing by the covenant-keeping faithful God, if somebody else doesn't do it, if this other man is close to you doesn't redeem, I will redeem. He makes a promise. This is a covenant oath he's making here. Now, it wouldn't look right for him to go off in the middle of the night. There's, there's some options here. She's there at midnight. What's he gonna do? He's a, he's a worthy man. She's a worthy woman. They both would have been tempted in this instance, and yet we see that they resisted temptation, and God used that to redeem the situation. Sometimes you might find yourself in a, in a bad situation. It's, it's not like you have to give in. Boaz didn't have to give in when he at midnight finds this woman laying at his feet, this foreign woman, This Moabite woman, when Moabites were known for being provocative, and so he doesn't give in to that. And she doesn't really completely obey Naomi, her mother-in-law. Instead, she actually makes a proposal. Naomi said, well, whatever he tells you. She's like, I'm not doing that. But needless to say, they both resisted. They both remained pure. They both kept their integrity, and he makes this promise, and he protects her. And he says... You know, lie down until morning. He did that not because not because he just wanted her clothes to have warm feet. He says, lie down until morning because he knew that if she left then on her own, it could be very dangerous for her at midnight to walk home. Or if he walked her home at midnight, that would look bad and it'd be bad for her reputation. Or if he waited till the broad daylight and walked her home, that would be bad. People would think something about that. And yet he says, okay, wait here. And then so she gets up in the morning when it was just dawn. And he says, hey, look, in, in verse 15, look, at, look in your Bible. It says, he, he tells her to hold out her garment. And he loads it up with six measures of barley. Now, we don't know the exact measure that was used. But we, we think that is a, is a measure of weight that, that ends up being about 75 pounds. So he loads her down. This, this is a strong woman, by the way. She, she takes this big garment she's got and she's got this sack of grain that she hoists over her shoulder. Kind of a comical picture, but he is, he is lavishing her. His, and he is giving this gift to her. It's, it's, not, it's not just because he's being nice. It's also symbolic. It's saying, hey, I'm making a promise to you and this lavish gift is a down payment of my promise. You can be sure when you receive my gifts that I really mean my promise. And so um, she goes back and look in verse 17. Look in verse 17. She comes back, reports to Naomi. And she says, um, these six measures of barley he gave to me, and then now we see the narrator's bringing this in. He says, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Oh, God is redeeming. Remember, Naomi was empty that's what she said when she came out of Moab. She goes, you know, the God has been so unkind to me. He made, I went back, I went there full and he brought me back empty. And now God's saying, oh no, you need to see that I redeem everything. I even redeemed your bad situation, your bad choice to go to, to Moab, your, your bad plans, your, your bad attitude. I'm redeeming all those things and I'm lavishing goodness on you. And Naomi, trust in the promise of the redeemer here, and I'm making you full. Through Ruth, this Moabite woman. And so we see the, the great lengths that, that Boaz is going to, to protect and provide. He says, I'm gonna do whatever it takes. I won't rest. That's it's what everybody it's, says. He won't rest. He won't rest. This one, he, he is for you. He wants you. He's chosen you. He's pursuing you. He's not hesitant. He's generous to you. He will not rest. They were sure that he would redeem them. They believed he would do whatever it took to settle the matter. Today is what it says. In this story, we see it's more than just about Boaz and Ruth. It's meant to point the listener to see what God is like. Jesus is the great redeemer ultimately. And we can see that that he will not rest. He has not rested. He did not rest until he brought about his purposes. We needed a Redeemer, though. We were like Naomi. We were like Ruth. We were empty and barren. We were in need of Redeemer. If if He would not redeem us, there would be no hope. We would have no place, no provision. We were in need of a Redeemer. Jesus had to redeem us. There was no way for us to find rest. We were foreigners. We were outsiders. We were outcasts. We were destitute. We, we, we had no hope, no home, no, no eternal home, no way to find spiritual food. And yet, when we come to the Redeemer, he gives us a promise of his rest. And thank God that Jesus did not rest until he settled the matter. I love the way it puts that about in Boaz. He will not rest until he settles the matter today. Thank God that Jesus did not rest until he settled the matter of our redemption. That's what really Palm Sunday is about. Palm Sunday is about how Jesus was coming into Jerusalem knowing what would happen. He knew there was gonna be a cost. Boaz knew there would be a cost. He, He was... He knew there would be a cost of ridicule because he was going to make a proposal to marry this Moabite woman. Scandalous. He knew there'd be a cost. There'd be a cost to him financially. There'd be a cost because he would not raise up people for himself. He'd be raising up people for that inheritance to give to them. He knew there'd be a cost. Jesus knew there would be a cost the ultimate cost of being forsaken by God. On the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, those words were spoken by the grandson of Ruth and Boaz, David. In Psalm 22, David, he is, he is most likely, this is after his sinful period, and he feels like he is all alone. And in Psalm 22, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. Then David's descendant used those same words on the cross My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did not find rest, he actually forsook his rest. He didn't rest until he settled the matter. And how he settled the matter was by giving up his own rest. Jesus gave up his own comfort. He gave up his his own privileges. He gave up everything. And he did it knowingly. Because Jesus did not rest until he settled the matter of our redemption. We can find rest in him you know, the question for us is, like Naomi, shouldn't we try to find rest? Isn't it a good thing to try to find rest? And the answer is yes, but we we're never meant to find rest apart from our Redeemer. And, and, and if you've ever had your plans, and your proposals go astray, maybe you're thinking, I might not find rest. Maybe right now the promise of rest is really appealing to you, but let's not think too short-term. Let's not be like Naomi and take matters into our own hands and be self-sufficient. God's always had a plan for our rest and it's never been flawed uh, like Naomi's plans, even if we don't understand it. God has always had a proposal to give to his people through his son so that we can all take shelter under his wing. His covenant promised to resolve the matter for us no matter what it takes, no matter what the cost to himself. That is our promise of rest. Jesus' determination to redeem a people for his own possession, his resolve to redeem a people was clearly seen on that day that he rode into Jerusalem 2,000 plus years ago. People praised him at first as he rode in on this donkey. It was a symbol of the king. He, he was praised at first and they, they showered him with praise and they, they put their palm branches out. They put their cloaks down. But Jesus knew all along that their love for him was fickle. He knew the cost. He knew what it would cost. He knew what would happen. He knew that it would cost him everything. He prophesied himself that he'd go to Jerusalem and be given over to him. He, If he had taken his throne, if he'd done the easy thing and not settled the matter, and just say, you know what, I'm just going to live for myself. Forget that. I don't need to redeem people. I'm going to live for myself. Then we would not have any guarantee we would have no rest. The temptation must have been great for Jesus. He could have avoided all the pain and suffering. He knew what was coming coming for him. He told his disciples back in Luke 9 of the plan. He explains it to them in verse 22. He says, "The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised." He knew what was coming. And then in verse 44 of chapter 9 of Luke, he says, "Let these words sink in. I'm going to die." And then he says, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And, but it says in verse 45 of Luke 9, but they didn't understand the saying, and it was concealed from them, so they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him because, well, they were proud. They, were, they didn't get it. They didn't understand his plan. Just like we may not understand his plans, but he has a plan for our redemption that's better than our plans. He was determined not to let the matter of our redemption rest. And in Luke 9.51, it says, listen, look at the language here of Luke 9.51. It says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's, that's that determined face of the Redeemer. This is determined language. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was determined not to rest until the price of redemption was paid. He wouldn't rest until he settled the matter. He wouldn't rest until he endured our shame, endured our suffering, endured the mocking, endured the ridicule, the rejection of his own family and friends, the torture at the hands of Roman soldiers. Their beating the crown of thorns. They, they whipped him. They spat in his face. They whipped him to the point where he almost died. He couldn't even carry the wood of his cross. All And then he was crucified all so might, he might purchase us. You see, all along he had a plan that's perfect, not like. Naomi's. He has made a promise. He's made a proposal. His proposal is perfect to redeem, to buy his bride. And he's given a promise. And his promise that he gave is that, that he would give his, God gave us that he would give his only son, that whosoever would believe in him might be saved. And Jesus didn't rest until his work was finished. He didn't find rest until he said, my God, after he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't find rest until he said, it is finished. And then he was raised from the dead three days later. That's what we're gonna celebrate on a good Friday and Sunday morning. Now we celebrate that he won a day of rest for us on Sunday morning. That, that's, why we, that's why we shift, that's why Christians shift their whole day of worship from Saturday to Sunday because that's the day that he truly gave us a Sabbath rest, It was on Sunday morning. The question is, are you resting in him? Rest is not found in our own plans, our own timing, our own ability to figure things out. Planning, stability, understanding things, you making your plans, you making your proposals. Rest is not to be found there. Rest isn't even to be found in vacation. It's not to be found in money. It's not to be found in temporal things. It's not to be even found in family Those are all good things and all those places of rest should point us ultimately to our ultimate place of rest in God and say, Lord, thank you that you give us these these foretastes, these appetizers. And it's meant to make us hungry for the real deal, for the meal, the full meal that we're gonna have when we get to feast together with him at, at the wedding supper of the lamb where we can truly be in the place of rest. Right now, God has a place of rest for each and every one of us and our, our souls to find rest in Him. The question is, have you placed your trust in Him? Are you resting from your works? Resting from your earning? Resting from you trying to figure everything out? And are you resting the fact that He's figured it out? He's the Redeemer. He has a good plan. His promises are sure. His proposal's not fickle. He'll protect us even if we die. We have nothing to fear. We can find rest even if we lose our jobs. He'll give us all that we need in him. He's provided inheritance for us. We can rest if, if this virus hits our bodies. We can still rest in him knowing that one day he'll redeem our bodies. We can rest knowing that he cares for us more than all those beautiful spring flowers that you might be seeing as you look out your window or walk around your neighborhood. There's nothing he'll withhold from us because he's given everything to us. We might lose all this world has to offer. We might lose our income, but we'll never lose our internal inheritance in him that he gives us as a wedding gift that can't be stolen. Our rest is not found in our ability to plan. It's not found in our proposals. It's not found in our promises. It's found in the plans, proposals, and promises of our redeemer. And it's secure. And he's given us, here's the good news, he's given us the Holy Spirit It's a down payment. So let us close with these words of Jesus in Matthew 11. Hear these words, let them speak to your soul. Jesus said to his disciples, he said to us, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I, nothing else, no one else, I will give you rest. Now look at what he says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Well, let's pray and the band will come up and we'll, we'll close with one worship song together. Father, thank you that you have guaranteed a place of rest that from the beginning of time you had a good plan to bring us rest that you had the most wonderful marriage proposal in store for us through Jesus to give us rest. And thank you that all of the promises we see in the Bible are yes and amen, meaning they are completely assured and true because they are reliant upon your character, not ours. And so the promise of rest is something we can trust in because it depends upon the fact that you've chosen us, you want us, you love us, and you're not hesitant. And you paid the greatest price. So, so Jesus, would you help all of us rest in you? For, for those who do not know you, I pray that you would enable them to right now say, God, would you forgive me for going my own way, trying to trust in myself, looking for somewhere else for rest. Lord, I, I wanna repent of my sins. I wanna repent of living for myself. I wanna live for you. Lord, would you give rest there? Would you give rest to all of us who do know you? Would you help us trust in you, Lord, to help us put aside looking to other things, looking to people, looking to our ability to plan and figure this all out. And Lord, let us rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, let's worship together.